You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, it's a joy to be back today. I got to be here yesterday, and I'm just grateful for the Advent's ministry in this community. Uh, I graduated from Beeson Divinity School, uh, which uh, is a joy to have members of different denominations that are uh, being trained uh, for pastoral work through Beeson. And my particular professor, uh, even though I'm Baptist, was Anglican, and he always talked about we are regiments in the same army. Uh, And even just the time I got to spend with Wes today is just a reminder that God is building his kingdom, and I'm grateful for the faithful witness of this church uh, in this community and really around the world. Uh, Yesterday, I talked about my wife's 18-month battle with leukemia that we have uh, been enduring and talked about lessons that we learn through suffering. Today, what I want to do is describe a practice uh, that God has given us uh, to help us navigate our times of suffering, a practice that personally has been very helpful for us in this season. Evangelical Christians face a particular tension when we are in the midst of suffering. Because we believe that God's word is true, we believe what it tells us about God. He is sovereign over all things. He is good. He is faithful to his promises. The tension comes when our painful circumstances call into question what we believe to be true. Our statements of faith, God is sovereign, he is good, He is faithful. Become questions. Is God sovereign? Is he good? Is he faithful? God in his grace has given us a language and a guide to wrestling with this tension. Before Heather was admitted to the hospital for her stem cell transplant last year, a friend gave us a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogop. The subtitle is Discovering the Grace of Lament. Vrogop defines lament as a prayer in pain that leads to trust, a pathway from heartbreak to hope. We often see in the pages of scripture, God's people crying out to God in the midst of their emotional turmoil. Over a third of the Psalms and many other passages of scripture feature this language of lament. Lament helps us honestly express our pain without wallowing in despair. King David wrote several lament psalms, and I want us to look at one of those psalms of lament today and see what we can learn for our own journeys through the hard places of our lives. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We don't know the circumstances 
that led David to write that particular psalm. But we can all relate to the emotions that he experiences. David moves from a pit of despair to hope-filled praise through two key moves of faith. First, he honestly cries out to God in the midst of his pain. And second, he chooses to trust God in the midst of his hard circumstances. The first key move of faith in lament is to honestly cry out to God, to come to him with your pain and hurt. David asked four questions in the first two verses, all beginning with the phrase, how long? The first question, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? This is figurative language. In the Old Testament, we often see the terms forget and remember used figuratively. For God to remember his people or remember his covenant means for God to act on their behalf. And for God to forget his people means that he hasn't acted in the way they desired. David knows God hasn't literally forgotten him, but he feels abandoned by God. No sense of his presence. And David wonders if this will last forever. Will he ever sense God's presence again? The second question. How long will you hide your face from me? This again is figurative language. A key passage in the Old Testament is the priestly blessing from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. David is feeling the opposite of this blessing. It's as though the Lord has hidden his face from him and has not been gracious to him and is not lifting up his countenance upon him, and is not giving him peace. David feels alone, ignored by God. The third question, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? The NIV translates the first part of that question as how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? David's been trying to think of ways to resolve his situation to no avail. And it leads to emotional and spiritual pain, constant sorrow in his heart. His mind and heart are worn down from the constancy of his suffering. And the fourth question, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We don't know who David is referring to or whoever or whatever it is, but David feels like his enemy has the upper hand. David is in a pit of despair. He feels isolated, frustrated, and exhausted. Most of us have been there or will be there at some point in our lives. I think the deepest pit for me during these last 18 months of Heather's battle with leukemia was on my daughter Hannah's ninth birthday. It was 10 days after Heather's diagnosis and I had been at the hospital with Heather but wanted to come home and celebrate Hannah and just give the kids one night of normalcy. Heather's absence was so palpable that night. Everywhere I turned, everywhere I looked at the house, and I just couldn't get the thoughts out of my head that, is this what the future is going to look like? A future without her. I tucked my little girls into bed, my seven to nine year old, and uh, I somehow managed to uh, get out of their room, but I just thought those girls need their mama. I can't do it. I just collapsed in a heap and wondered, am I ever going to feel joy in this house again? 
I think that's how David feels in this psalm. Our hardships create confusion. Questions and doubts rise to the surface. What do we do in those moments? One response is to turn away from God in anger or despair. Turn to someone or something else to soothe our pain. In the book I referenced earlier, Vrogop says, despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care, he doesn't hear, and nothing is ever going to change. People who believe this stop praying. They give up. That's not David's response. David comes to the Lord with his pain. In verses 3 and 4, he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He takes his questions and confusion to the Lord and not away from him. He's authentic about what he feels and what he wants. Part of God's grace and lament is that we can be honest with him about our pain. We may be uncomfortable at times being honest with God, but he's not uncomfortable with our honesty. It is okay to cry out to God with an honest heart. Be prepared, however, that many people would not encourage this kind of authenticity. You will find no shortage of authors, preachers, and well-meaning friends who believe that the right approach to hardship is to think only positive thoughts and speak only positive words as if you can control with your thoughts and words things that are far beyond your control. I'm grateful that God's word does not encourage that kind of delusion. Instead, it encourages us to be transparent with the one who already knows our every thought. God hears the prayers of his people, not because of how eloquent or how positive we are, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. All who have trusted in Jesus alone to save us are no longer separated from God, but in relationship with him. We have direct access to God the Father through our mediator, Jesus Christ. And Jesus understands our pain. He took on humanity and suffered as we do. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says of Jesus, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The gospel is the reason we can approach God in prayer with confidence. The gospel frees us from the burden of having to have it all together. We don't have to pretend that our pain isn't real it's okay to ask honest questions. We don't have to stuff them down, ignore them, pretend we're fine when we're not. Exercising faith does not mean we have to be fake. That's helpful to remember both personally and when you have friends or family members going through hard times. One of the best gifts you can give to a hurting friend is to just be there with them and to let them honestly grieve. Don't rush them ahead too quickly. Everyone grieves differently, and the journey can take time. I was grateful for friends, friends like Gil Cracky, who's here, who would just listen to me and let me verbally process my emotions without feeling the need to tell me it was all going to be okay. 
when we really didn't know how it would turn out. They didn't invalidate my pain. Instead, they acknowledged it and walked alongside me through it. And for that, I am forever grateful. The gospel gives us freedom to be honest with God. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible, one I have prayed many, many times, is found in Mark 9, 24, when a man says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. In our pain and confusion, we can turn to God, honestly crying out to him, knowing that he hears us. Part of God's grace in lament is the reassurance we can cry out to him with an honest heart. But lament does not leave us crying out in despair. Instead, it moves us from heartbreak to hope. How? Through the other crucial move of faith, choosing to trust in the character and promises of our God. What does David do after bringing his honest questions, his emotions, his confusion, his doubt before God? He makes a turn in verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David says, I have trusted. In the Hebrew, the pronoun is unnecessary. But David includes it for emphasis. This is his personal statement of faith. He's expressing his confidence in the Lord regardless of his circumstances. He points to two things as the basis for his trust, God's steadfast love and his salvation. The word translated steadfast love is a covenant word, a reminder of God's faithful, enduring love for his people. And the word salvation refers to God's acts of deliverance on behalf of his people. David looks backward, reminding himself of who God is and what he has done in order to move forward with hope. The result is praise. I will sing to the Lord for he has dealt bountifully with me. There's no indication that David's circumstances have changed, but his perspective has changed. David chooses to trust in the character and promises of God. Through lament, he has traveled from heartbreak to hope. British pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, says, we have to learn as believers to talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. I mentioned yesterday that I'm really good at envisioning worst case scenarios and forgetting that the God who's with me now will still be with me then. It's easy for us in the midst of hardship to go down a rabbit hole of our own thoughts and settle into a place of utter discouragement and despair. Lloyd-Jones says we have to stop the crazy train of our thoughts and begin talking to ourselves about the character and promises of God. He says this, you have to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with Job, I shall yet praise him. For David, lament was a bridge from his pain to the hope of God's promises. He honestly cried out to God, bringing his struggles and questions to God instead of away from him. And in the midst of his difficult circumstances, he chose to trust in the character and promises of God. And we actually have a big advantage over King David 
when it comes to trusting the character and promises of God. Why? Because we live on this side of the cross in the empty tomb. We have seen God's steadfast love, covenant love displayed as Jesus took the punishment for our sins on himself at the cross. We have seen God deliver his people from bondage to sin and death through Jesus' sacrifice and triumphant resurrection. We have a living hope now and a secure future forever because of who God is and what he has done. We can trust him. God in his grace has given us a guide to deal honestly with our sadness and grief and yet in our pain and confusion resolve to trust him. Lament has been an important part of our journey. Heather and I read through the book on lament that was given to her. We prayed psalms of lament. We even wrote a song of lament together while we were in the hospital. And while lament has been incredibly helpful on our journey, it has also been challenging for us in different ways. For my wife, who just has an incredible optimism about her, it was hard at first for her to be honest with God about her struggles. But she learned she needed to give voice to her pain, not stuff it down, not ignore it, give voice to it, be authentic with God about what she was thinking and feeling. One of the great lessons we learn from lament is that in the Christian life, we can hold joy and sorrow together. Turning to God with your honest questions is evidence of your trust in him, not an absence of faith. For me, I didn't have any trouble voicing my pain and confusion to God. I did that readily. I struggled with the other key move of faith, choosing to trust in hard circumstances. It was hard for me to stop the crazy train of what-if questions that filled me with fear and dread. And through lament, it helped shift my focus from my overwhelming circumstances to my overwhelmingly faithful God. As we close, I want you to consider your own circumstances in light of what we've discussed. Honestly cry out to God. Bring your emotions, your questions, your doubts, your fears to him, not away from him. And then remember today who God is, what he has done, and what he has said he will do. Choose to trust him in your pain. Trust in the Lord at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge for us. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.